I don't know. I think your description is pretty good, actually, because one of the, there are few technical um, specifications about how, what happens when your device attaches to the radio, to the core, and all this sort of stuff, and sets up the slice. But actually, trying to figure out, you know, really what it is and what it means <coughs> is not easy. And even the definitions are kind of float around and move around a bit, even within the sort of technical documentation. Uh, so it's not, um, you know. There's lots of definitions that are a bit like yours, I would, I would, I would say. Um, well, if, if, they've, if they've got as far <laughs> as me when it comes to defining these things, we're all in the right. shit. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. It's been a little bit longer since the last one because I think, Pierre, you were in Vegas, weren't you? Yeah. How was Vegas? Do, do I have to say Vegas baby and all that sort of, all those sort of cliches? It was uh, interesting. It was my first time. Oh, your first like, Vegas? Uh, it's a fucking weird place, isn't it? I can't believe it? that you've not been there before. Is there, yeah, everyone said that. I'm like, why? Yeah, why <laughs> would I make away? a point of going to this bizarre Disneyland was, for grown-ups? It was so weird. It was very... Um, and you won some money. I won some money, yeah. Um, and what, what game were you Roulette. playing? Roulette. That's all I can... Like, right. Jeff Bongano tried to explain craps to me. And I, can't, I like, still can't get my head around craps. Is that the long table where they... Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks cool. It looks. It's very... the one where whenever they do like Vegas montages, it's someone throwing the dice. Yeah. And beautiful women are sort yeah, of yeah. patting them on the back. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen in roulette, does it? No. But, no, um, Mike Dana, really. but roulette's just a. I mean, I suppose they're all games of chance. <clears throat> but like things like blackjack, <clears throat> you, you feel you have some agency. Yeah. Whereas whereas roulette, you're just going. I don't know. Yeah, and it, it's tricky because there was American roulette and European roulette. Ah. So European roulette has one zero. Uh huh. And the American one had. A zero, and a, a double, double zero. zero, and then the casino's logo. So it's really... So they're just hedging it in favour, because yeah, no massively. one ever bets on those, well, rarely. No, I bet on the European one, yeah. Yeah. No, what I'm saying is the reason they put in the zeros oh, yeah, yeah. is because then if you bet on red or black, you It'll lose 50, either 50. way if it lands on yeah, that. Yeah. So they're, they're just increasing the odds. Typically, Yanks to rinse the public even more. I, that's the thing I don't like about Vegas. I'm obviously not having a go at Americans, I'm just joking, but I just find when you're in Vegas... The rapaciousness of it, the, oh, yeah. the the extent to which every step you take, there seems to be something geared to just part you with your cash as quickly and yeah. efficiently as possible, and then spit you out into the airport and go come back when you earn some more. Yeah, I just it just does my head in. It's an and yeah, an apologetic. But like I saw this girl at the bar. Even at the bar, they have screens so you could play like digital blackjack. Yeah, yeah. I saw this girl. She asked her husband, like, "Can I have some money?" He gave her a uh, hundred dollars. She fed it all in the machine. And I watched her, like, surely, but slowly but surely, like, lost it all in, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> Just, like, slapping the button, like, like, hit, 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 hit. And it was, like, 95, 92, 93, 90. And it's just, like, oh, yeah. lost it all in 10 minutes. Didn't blink an eye. Like, eh, whatever. But you, but you were up on, <coughs> yes, on your gamble. Yeah, I lost some money the day before, but then I made it, I'm, I'm basically $50 up on Go these. On. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. And, and uh, Mike Dana was there <laughs> to witness <laughs> Uh, Mike Davis has a witness. Your your high rolling. Yeah, I think he was my lucky uh, my lucky charm. And uh, yeah. before we go any further, we should say that we do have a special guest on yes. this week. Delighted to have Gabriel Brown, who is an analyst. I think what you senior principal analyst. I mean, it doesn't get much higher than that. Uh, after that, it's God, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> senior principal analyst. Uh, 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 heavy reading, mm -hmm. which um, it's not coincidence that it sounds like light reading because it's part of the same stable, and we're all part of the the great big. Informer stable. Mm. 
Um, and have we have we had you on before, Gabriel? Yeah, We're, yeah, yeah, we have. Okay. Quite a long ago, time ago. Exactly. Yeah. I was saying we've been talking about getting you, I should say, back on for a while. So it's good to have you. And we, and we had to dick you around a little bit because. Because we couldn't do it last Friday because of Vegas, and then we were going to do it on Wednesday, but then there's a train strike, and then Thursday we couldn't do it for some reason. Oranges, uh, little get together. Yeah, and and anyway, so here we are on Tuesday, um, and I better not faff too much because uh, as ever, Pierre's got the hard cut off. Mm. Ian, I gather you're not feeling 100. percent You got a little bit of a bug. Yeah. You're going to give us all coronavirus, you bastard. I don't think it's coronavirus. It, well, no other illnesses exist, didn't? Hadn't you heard? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it's not. It's either coronavirus or you're just being a wimp. Yeah. Um, but you were, you were thinking of bailing yesterday, but you feel a bit better today. Yeah. And I'm, you're having I'm, a beer. Not, you're manfully bearing I'm, I'm up. I'm okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm not that bad. All right. Well, yeah. we'll. I'm sure once uh, once you get that punk IPA down, you you'll be back to top form. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what we're going to chat about? Uh, usual review of the weather. It's very autumnal. I'm, I'm allowed to say it's autumnal now, aren't I? Mm-hmm. Very much so. I can feel it blitting. The days are getting shorter. I, I, I can just feel that descent. Uh, it's 35 degrees in Vegas. It's 35 degrees. Have you had your heating on at all? No. I had it on one night when I, it got really cold. We're holding off. House. I, I have yeah. it on. Really I'm, all, I'm all about the layers. Yeah, I've been doing that. but Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, there it's, we it's are. It's like a threshold that you cross, and isn't it's it? Only, it's, my, it's, my, it's my birthday in six days. There's normally, oh, yeah. there's normally a last little nice bit around my birthday, which is 10th of October. And then it's just six months of just wrist-slitting misery. I remember so, your birthday uh, last year. We got year. that to look forward to. Yeah. It was quite fun. God, I got properly damaged at the end of that. <coughs> that was a big one, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as, as a regular listener to the pod know, I, I don't mind a drink. But by the end of that night, about three or four in the morning, I was on, on properly wobbly legs, which doesn't happen every day to me. So there we are. Maybe, maybe I'll do it again when I'm 60. And it'll be just game over. Um, cool. All right. We better stop prattling because I've said hard cut off. Um, what are we going to chat about this week? So, so Gabriel um, is very knowledgeable along lots of things, but his core area of study and expertise is sort of mobile network infrastructure, especially around what goes on in the, in the base station. Is that right? More I'll or less. Take yeah, yeah, more, more you'll less. take that. You'll take that as precise as you're likely to get from me. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. I don't think we, we had a little chat beforehand, um, but I don't think there's one overwhelming sort of new topic. There's a few things that we speak about regularly on the pod, for example, um, standalone 5G, open round, that sort of thing. So I think we'll touch on those things. And, and, and where I really look forward to um, hearing Gabriel's point of view is, of course, he knows more about it than certainly I do, and dare I say, than Ian does. Um, so, uh, so we'll all sort of just learn a thing or two, hopefully. No pressure, Gabriel. And if you say anything I already know, I'm going to go, boring, <laughs> heard it. <laughs> so it'll be completely groundbreaking. And then as far as news goes, I mean, we got to yesterday, I was writing, I didn't get to see whether you wrote about it. Mm, yeah, um, so, so Vodafone's admitted it's chatting to CK Hutchinson, which is the owner of three, about them potentially merging in the UK, which is a big deal. It's about the only... But the only big telecoms mega merger left sort of on the table, really, if you don't count Talk Talk. Yeah. Um, um, and I suppose there's something you, know, you could. There's so when, when they're not allowed to do it, they're going to go. What do you expect us to do then? Well, quite, basically. and that's something that that's something that definitely come up in the in the conversation because I think that's what they're already pleading yeah. is the oh go on, otherwise we're fucked argument. Yeah. Um, so so we'll chat about that. I mean. 
Ian, you know, we, we didn't have much preamble because uh, we had to start quite quickly. I only turned up about 10 minutes ago. Um, I don't know if you've written about <coughs> anything I, in the past week. I had a you... trip, like when he was in Vegas. Oh, yeah, where'd you go? At the same time. Paris. Paris, an orange thing. Yeah, orange business services specifically. Okay, yeah. Met, we, we met can... their new CEO. He's sure. quite impressive. Okay, well, we'll chat about that then. Uh, I, went, I went to Paris as well in, in Vegas. I went to the oldest cafe mm. in Paris. Ooh. Called Cafe Procop or something. It's in Saint Germain and it's uh, dates back to 1686. Wow. wow! So there's like little things in like you know, Rousseau sat here when he was writing the social. Is contract. that like in England where there's about 400 oldest pubs in England? Yeah, I think this is really genuinely old. Oh, okay. though. It, it does have like Hemingway farted on this I'm, chair. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. There's like that one in Civil um, War was plotted one on Fleet here. Street, isn't the oldie Cheshire Cheese? Yeah. It's like a thing where peeps were supposed to have sat. Right. So there's a little bit of that going on here. Yeah, but yeah. It is genuinely like they've got like recipes that are still from, you know, the sort of 1700s, and um, it's really amazing food. Yeah. Cool. So, well, those. Yeah, I mean, can't, I can't fault Orange on taking you out for a nice meal. Good, um, nice one, Orange. Um, yeah, I had a quick tangent. Years ago, my dad's a military historian, and years ago, um, me and him went and, and drove along the Western Front of the First World War. A bit of sort of, bit of sort of war um, nostalgia, for want of a better word. Um, and Belgium food, yeah. Once you get past steak and chips, yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually surprising how shit the Belgians are at food, considering they have a border with France. But France is funny. France, if if the French think they're serving French people, you'll get great food. But if they think there's half a chance you you just come over, come across the channel, they'll give you slop. They're completely <laughs> shameless. And Pierre's shaking his head in disagreement. And of course, you're from the part of France where we, where a lot of English people go. But my personal anecdotal experience is that once you go off, once you go off the beaten track, the food just improves enormously. And when mm. we're going down around sort of Dun and and yeah. and the Somme and that sort of thing, you know, as long as we went somewhere went somewhere that was touristy, you just get these. It's prefix, is that what they call it? Prefix. Yeah. Um, you know, just a set meal for that. Yeah, man. it's just in all sort of brilliant. In unassuming places as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? and you get like and you get what you're given, but it's all lush. Yeah. Mm. Um, the, the, much as I'm, much as it pains me to admit it, the French reputation for cuisine is well earned. Yeah. So much so that it they nick, they invented the word for it. <laughs> so there we are. That just means kitchen, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, I digress once more. So um, I think I'm going to start. Uh, Gabriel, you weren't on the pod, but I definitely, I don't know if you heard it, sort of name-checked you um, uh, a few pods ago after we'd been out with BT. And we were all in their big, like, Star Wars boardroom mm-hmm. um, and asking various questions. And I noted that you asked the questions about, about standalone 5G. So that, that the theme of their whole thing was just talking about their plans for, for sort of network uh, infrastructure development, rollout, whatever. And, and you asked old stuff down. And you asked some, you asked some, for me, quite technical questions about standalone five um, G. I'm not necessarily going to ask you to revisit that, although you're welcome to if you want. But I just thought, given that I still find, I think I understand what the point of standalone is. I, it's, it's a new sort of core, new sort of infrastructure all the way through, rather than putting five G sort of radios on top of four G infrastructure. And, and do correct all of that if I got that wrong, but. I'm still not entirely sure, not so much what the point of it is, because obviously a, a, a more technologically advanced infrastructure is bound to have some benefits, but how urgent it is, um, what good it'll do the industry, what what unique things could be done with it, that sort of thing. So I just wonder if we could start with a bit of a uh, standalone 5G, <coughs> what's the point of it, Gabe? 
sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 the, the best or sort of most interesting question you have there is. Um, how urgent is it? Right. And as well as we get into like what are the benefits and all of that, all of that, which is a little bit more. There's a long list, but how right. significant they are. I could talk all podcast about it. Um, I think BT are pretty much, you know, in terms of their uh, timeline, pretty much representative of most of a what you can think of as uh, the leading cohort of operators worldwide. Now there are a few who are totally on it and a little bit, little bit further ahead. But of most of the leaders, is a kind of a cohort, and they're in, a, in and around about the same sort of phase and time frame and things like that. Um, which is to say, they have, none of them have actually given their date when they're going to launch it and things like that. There's still quite That's a awful. bit of yeah. Don't want to don't want to commit in case they have to row back because there's there's, right. there's quite a few um, challenges and decisions and is still there a to big, be made. Is there a big like switch? Is there a moment where they got to flip the switch and it could all just go Pete Tong? <laughs> no, not if they do it correctly. But that is, of course, what yeah, they're worried about. That's, the, that's, that's what they've got to make sure time. they yeah, get yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I think getting it right is more important than being fast. And um, you know, so no, if they do it right, that shouldn't be a problem. Mm. Um, the but risk I, is with a core network, though, you can take out your entire country if you have some kind indeed. of a problem. So that's why they're very conservative. But I guess it's going to be sitting alongside NSA. For a while, anyway, it's not like you just go from one to the other. You'd have the two. Do you of get them. like a parallel? You get you have the two yeah, of them running. Probably for uh, probably at least another decade or something. Oh right. So it's going to be a long time. Oh, so there isn't a hard flip. Not really. Right. Because no. unless you've got five G everywhere, I mean, we were talking about this, and it's in your very good blog that went up on the site a few days ago. I can't remember when, but you have to have, as I understand it, you have to have pretty much five G everywhere to be able to have standalone everywhere. So you can't yeah, you can't have five G radio. And coverage isn't that great at the moment in a lot of countries. You couldn't run 4G radios on 5G standalone core. Is that right? Well, you're really getting into like a major issue <laughs> okay. from about three or four years ago. Right, stumbling blindly into it in my case. Um, that's a, that is a whole other story. Okay, that, kettle of fish. There's lots to talk about. I mean, the thing at the moment is when you, you know, if, I don't know if you've got, you've got your 5G phone. Mm, you I just sit in there and it's just doing yeah, its do. thing. Okay, well, I never see 5G well, there come you go. up. So if you get... If you get um, even if you do a little web browse or you get a message or anything like that, nearly certain it's not actually on 5G at that point. So it's yeah. just it looks like 5G on the logo, but it's just sitting camping as they call it or on the on the 4G. And because until you do a really big download, mm. which you right. never do, you know who really yeah. does, it's just sitting there on 4G and it you know it's not triggering up to to work on 5G if you see what I mean. So, I see. You know, does the phone do that then? The phone does it, mm. but only when you've got a big enough request. So, so that decision that decision's made on a local level? Uh, it's a mixture of the phone and okay. the network. Mm. But basically, yeah, there's no point in them having you plugged into 5G, which, which for, for consumers is basically just a bit more bandwidth, really, isn't it? All the other bits, all the other qualities we associate with 5G right now, I don't think make, them, make themselves felt at, at consumer smartphone user level. Although if standalone's supposed to change that, isn't right, it? Right, okay. Well, maybe That's I should stop interrupting and let you... Yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't, know quite, I don't know quite how much it'll be. I mean, um, consumers don't even, apart from speed tests, we don't really notice <laughs> no. that either. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, even that isn't necessarily there. But um, I think Pierre's talked about this before, you know, by virtue of refreshing and investing in new infrastructure, we are Obviously, that generally speaking, also upgrading 4G and everything. You've got new equipment, 
So your performance and your site is all getting upgraded. So actually the user experience for everybody is going up. Mm. So if you think of it that way, that it's just a, you know, a constant upgrading of the yeah. infrastructure, then yeah, we're all benefiting and we're all getting more data. And, and, and there's data. usual weird little increments of data that they put in press releases, like you can download uh, a movie in one nanosecond now. Isn't that great? Hasn't well, that changed d- your life? Depending on the app, though. I mean, yeah. Like Spotify, if you try to download a podcast, it still takes like minutes, even though it should take two seconds. Well, that be to do with things like caching and, and CDNs and that sort of thing. I don't know. But but isn't isn't one of the arguments with with standalone that you're supposed to you know you're supposed to open up some of these new features of the of the core like um, network slicing mm-hmm. you know and and, mm-hmm. um, and and better latency than you get and short you know lower latency than you get on the non standalone version that then could lead to new types of application and that's the big hope isn't it I yeah guess, the, these are these are all kind of potentially um, interesting things you could do with it yeah yeah. Just doing a study at the moment on network slicing, actually. Right. Um, it's a love a long discussion, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but that but that is, so you know, one thing you'll probably be aware of, Gabe, is you know, we we're not shy about being sort of sceptical about the claims made by the telecoms industry, uh, and that's not because we're hostile to the telecoms industry. It'd be pretty stupid to be the editor of telecoms.com and be hostile to the telecoms industry, <laughs> but um, but I am hostile to groundless hyperbole and and marketing fluff because I'm a journalist first and foremost um, and so you get certain you've had certain claims made for 5g in the last let's say you know 5g's been we've probably been in the 5g hype cycle for at least five years haven't we mm-hmm. I would yeah. say um, and and network slicing is one of them mm-hmm. and my understanding of network slicing is it's, it's a way of sort of dynamically um, uh, optimizing and 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 uh, Specializing the net the network to perform certain tasks or deal with certain specializations, which uh, if it's if it presumably is dependent on back to the standalone core, presumably is dependent on a standalone core to be done properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm right so far. Yeah, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about network slicing as as it stands, as the claims versus the reality. How big a deal it is? Um, well, uh, yeah, you're right. It's it requires the 5G core and the standalone, and that's mm-hmm. and and so it's one of the sort of um, the kind of hero services, the hype services that come. You know, why 5G is better than 4G? It's, it's often used as an example. Yeah. By the same token, people use it as an example of you know why it's all a hype and you shouldn't pay any attention to it because you know um, it doesn't yet exist and is it going to be any use anyway? So it's it's it, it it's a sort of tech it's a technology or set of technologies that gets batted around like that by us pundits mm-hmm. and everybody else um, I don't know I think your description is pretty good actually because one of the, there are few technical um, specifications about how, what happens when your device attaches to the radio to the core and all this sort of stuff and sets up the slice but actually trying to figure out you know really what it is <coughs> and what it means is not easy and even the definitions are kind of float around and move around a bit, even within the sort of technical documentation. Uh, so it's not, um, you know, there's lots of definitions that are a bit like yours. I would, I, w- I would say. Um, well, if, if they've if they've got as far as me <laughs> when it comes to defining these things, we're all in the right. shit. <laughs> well, in in, a, in the in the survey we've done, published in a few days probably, um, the largest group were 
people saying uh, more or less, yeah, we're working on this. We're trying to figure out what it what This it is means. a survey of what? Telecoms Telecom operators. Operators, People right. work in, in telecom operators. And the biggest group saying, yeah, we're trying to figure out... Um, what, you know what it is and how it might work for yeah, us. We're still getting our head around yeah. it. The, the thing yeah. I don't quite get about it is it sounds like a sort of nifty thing to be able to do and, and maybe improve. There's a better way of managing you know, services and, and you can provide guarantees and security and privacy in a, in a sort of more controlled way. But it doesn't sound like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like the sort of thing that necessarily excite people buying 5G services. You know, I'm not, you, yeah, I don't I mean, a, are you going to go and ask for a slide? So, you're going to say, I want my service to do this and this. Yeah, you all know. of this is like good questions that don't have brilliant answers yeah. at, at the moment. Um, but yeah, the idea that people would buy slices, I don't think that that's borne out. But Telenor says it has customers requesting slices, yeah. And 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 uh, it was a guy called I'm going to pronounce his name wrong now because it's not Turge, but it's spelt Turge. Jensen, you'll know. He said some of their enterprise customers, and I think because the CIOs are obviously quite clued up and have read about it, they've actually gone out and asked for a slice. But but isn't it's never going to be the sort of thing that in in a consumer context anybody'd ask for, is it? You wouldn't go, I want a slice. You just say, I want a decent gaming service that doesn't crash. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. My data doesn't go to Samsung. But but with the no, so obviously the consumer wouldn't buy the slice, but presumably some conversation happens at at some kind of CTO level or whatever. If you are, let's say, a, a cloud gaming provider. Yeah. Um, it doesn't doesn't the the acquisition and the utilization of the slice happen at that level? Yeah, so it's more of an enterprise thing. But even yeah. then, I don't, I'm not sure that all enterprises will be saying we want the slice. They might just no. be saying we want we want something that's dedicated right. just, and works well. Just want a service um, and, and how then, you and go about it. The other time when people have raised questions about network slicing to me is when in the sort of private networks context, you've got companies doing a lot themselves and maybe even mm-hmm. putting a core network mm-hmm. in and they've got their own spectrum and they've got a sort of, you know, they've gone a lot further in terms of having kind of their own network. It sort of seems to shut out network slicing from a bit of the market that it probably wanted to target a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, um, on our survey, for, you know, we can make your own mind up about it when, when you read it. But the, the top sort of service people wanted to use it for, um, not sure how much I agree, but this is what the, the result was pretty clear, was a way to sort of connect your private networks that you're talking about all together. You know, if you've got lots of them. Right. And you've got lots of people or trucks or machines or sh- all kinds of gadgets, devices, services moving between them, you could put them all together into some kind of a virtual private network. Yeah. But but I think the the you know, there's three or four big and important things that would have to happen before that's really practicable. So it's quite futuristic. Yeah. But it was interesting the BT thing that we went to that was being talked about because some of you mentioning as well they didn't really talk about network slicing, did they? They had their sort of list of things that you can do with standalone and interesting stuff and network slicing wasn't really yeah for them it was i think notable by its omission yeah um i did notice those were talking of orange earlier in paris been to paris twice this year were you at the paris thing with um, Ian? no different oh, right. thing but there um, was any reporters okay. and only the... two other ones of those besides me <laughs> really <laughs> not oversubscribed okay the um paris really good for vegetarians now is it to what it used to be yeah right, I, I don't care um but back, back, <laughs> back to Orange, Orange Belgium. You know, they made their announcement, and yeah. it's a it's a kind of a, a, a orange property that they use to, um, you know, they launch a service in one of their networks, and they, you know, it's Belgium this time, five G core, and they they made a big you know made a big emphasis on it. So I think it depends a bit on 
on the operator, how far along they are. Um, in their case, was it just that they had the, everything lined up, all their ducks sort of lined up? You know, they got the rollout, they got the spectrum, they had, um, you know, they're in a situation where they could do it more easily than other bits of the orange group. Because, um, like you say, a lot of those challenges to do with power, you were talking about the uplink power even is a big issue. And, um, you know, spectrum refarming is a massive job, isn't it, when it comes to launching standalone and yeah um, so there's loads of things you have to do as, as we talked about yeah. yeah yeah why is spectrum refarming an issue with standalone well was that was, was that, that was the question he asked that i didn't understand was it to do with that and, and needing no that was carrier aggregation right okay then why but, is but it does kind of link in it does but, link yeah. in yeah why why because i mean so my understanding of non-standalone which is as i in my language put it earlier which is sort of 5G radios on, on a 4G sort of underlying infrastructure. If the radio is the same, then isn't the spectrum being used the same? So why, why does the change in the underlying infrastructure change the, any, anything to do with the spectrum? I don't understand, Gabe. Um, the, why did it need to do the refarming? Yeah. Um, because over time, if you have more devices of 5G devices, they're going to use use that capacity basically so you want to gradually as, you, as your number of devices come in you want to gradually shift your capacity over right but at a certain point we're in a difficult point at the moment where most of the devices are lte or not sak you know so it's difficult at the moment to allocate too much spectrum to your 5g users but as you go to standalone you have to do carry aggregation you've gradually so got to that. move this move the customers and the spectrum over with Understood. it and it's just a like a really complicated thing that um, mm. and it's really where mobile operator um, you know technology department earns their money it's it's, it's you know the, the carrier aggregation thing if I remember rightly specifically was about how many how much you can do isn't it they, they want I think they were saying they want four carrier aggregation as a sort of basic minimum um, and they're pushing for the, but they're pushing for six carrier aggregation in future so yeah, they, they were talking about that for a sort of a consumer, you know, like for a, a smartphone market, service. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to make sure I understand carrier aggregation properly, I know it's been around for ages, but this is just sort of parallel um, <coughs> bits of spectrum, chunks of spectrum. So a typical smallest increment of spectrum is five megahertz, isn't it? That you'd get for to get a signal or to get some data. Anyway, uh, something like that. And so you, you'd have you could have parallel chunks of that or, or larger chunks as well. Mm-hmm. I always think of, you know, it's it's the old metaphor of sort of pipes. Uh, they talk about fatter pipes. For me, carrier aggregation is, is a bunch of individual parallel pipes. Is, is that a correct way of interpreting yeah, it? Yeah, more or less. In, yeah. Again, in my language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It's all getting really complicated now because you've got different technologies, 4G and right. 5G, maybe in the same bands. Uh, you've got different channel sizes, 20 megahertz, 100 yeah. megahertz, 40 megahertz. You've and you've also got TDD and FDD that you're trying to put together. You might even have millimeter wave. Yeah. So it's all getting epically. I know. Every time I write one of those, like someone like Nokia claims a new speed record because in some incredibly controlled environment they managed to a zillion megabits per second. Yeah. Um, and that's normally just cobbling together shitloads of carry aggregation and this, that, and the other. Yeah, in a lab got, somewhere with one user. Yeah, yeah, and you got to get your head around it. Or yeah, and anything that got in the way just got fried. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, that's not helping. The old cliche about radio waves being bad for you, is it? I'm yeah. 
perpetuating but I, I suppose this is damaging myths one of the reasons why they're trying to shut down a lot of this old I mean 3G especially is the one that a lot of operators seem to have targeted isn't it for mm. switching off in the next um, I don't know if BT came up with a I think they did didn't they they had a sort of deadline they're working to to try and switch off all their 3G stuff and Vodafone's yeah, and they had that aggressive um, target as well but that kind of ties in with the standalone shift doesn't and they it? had that PTSD network that they had to PTSD. sort out <laughs> I tell you what, yeah. talk about 3G, there's a really nice link there. What, are you prompting me to <laughs> notice the link? <laughs> what is that link? Um, well, I was just thinking 3G was, um, there was that company called 3 that oh, I see that link. named itself yeah, after well, no, the technology. Don't, don't, try and, don't try and impose segues on me, I'm running this <laughs> fucking podcast. Well, I'd, Thank you very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll get there, mate. But yes, 3, well, 3 was, I mean, oh... It's funny. It's funny to name your whole mobile phone company that you presume you want to last more than a decade mm. after one generation. Yeah, Maybe yeah, they yeah. thought three was going to be the last generation ever. Right. It's going to be so good well, that there wouldn't well, be a need for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, there is that. <laughs> yeah. Is is there anything? Because you know, in terms of the service um, aspects of of standalone, I guess, and you know, it, it allowing you to do whizzier services. If you take, you know, forget about network slicing, but is there are there other things that it potentially opens up to do with, you know, I mean, latency to me has always seen more a case of where you kind of build out your resources to some extent and Edge shortening and the, it totally, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think there's, there's loads of things, but it's pretty hard to pin down, right? If someone says, right, what's it going to be? Yeah. Mm. I'm going to be like, oh, I don't really know. And so the temptation, I say, oh, it's, it's a nonsense. Let's, you know, let's come back when it's a bit more concrete. Yeah. Um, but as with all these things, it does take quite a long time to develop, create the capabilities, experiment a bit, get a few things wrong, get it right. Um. It's a, I mean, it strikes me that at times like this where lots of things are sort of a work in progress, it's probably a good time to be an analyst because I would have thought if I was someone who paid for an analyst service, it would be to help me work out things that are ill-defined or uncertain or in the balance or something like that. So I think, um, you know, it's it's totally right and, and honest of you to to be continually pushing back and saying it's complicated because at this stage it is. Yeah, I mean, there's never any shortage of things to analyse that are complicated or people yeah. don't really know. It's like, you know... You're not going to have one day where you go, no, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, yeah. I've done it. But also, you know... I've clocked um, 5G. It's also worth checking, like, how much you got wrong or right five years ago or something oh well, now you're setting yourself up go on then well the, the only reason i bring it up is i saw this um i was looking doing you know looking through um internet fuzz looking for something or other and it popped up something that you know i'd produced like five years ago for someone on 2017 it was for on 5g before you know it'd been standardized and whatnot <coughs> and some of it came out pretty well and i was like oh this is this is um i'm pleased for myself here blah 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 i'll mention it next time anyone asks me but also, some of it was just completely wrong, you know. Yeah. I was just like, well... Go on, give, give, us, give us your most right and your most wrong. Uh, well, the most wrong remember. thing is the thing that's stuck in my mind, actually. Right, OK. Know, the right stuff is loads, you know, loads of that. Just <laughs> How long have you got? The, um, the thing that, we, that, that really came out wrong was, um, again, it was, a, it was a survey, so you can kind of say whoever got it wrong, but it was the fact there would be a lot more small cells than massive MIMO. That would be the capacity story. And you could say, actually, that was right because 5G started a millimetre wave, which is small cells. So you could say, in some ways, mm -hmm. we kind of got it right. But not really. You know, the most of 5G um, capacity is, is massive MIMO. Um, 
radios. Yeah. So, in, you know, in that sense, completely wrong. So on, on mid-band. On mid-band, yeah. 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 And mid-band has still got... So my understanding of, of one of the reasons why small cells, and you mentioned Milloita wave, um, it was perfectly reasonable to predict a proliferation of them is because when you go up in those higher frequencies, the propagation characteristics of the spectrum gets worse. In other words, the range gets shorter and the building penetration gets shorter. So you need small cells to, to bridge those those sort of divides. Um, but I guess, you know, mid-band, which we'd normally think of as around the sort of three and a half gigahertz sort of level, mm. that's still all right, is it? You, you can still do all right from a macro cell. But yeah, yeah that is the, that's been the major sort of breakthrough, really, in in um, products and technology in, in 5G. If, if there's been a single thing, it's probably that. Just getting the best out of mid-band. Yeah. But, right. but is there still any... Because, you know, coverage is, is still a bit of a constraint, isn't it, mm-hmm. in terms... Of, I think, I don't know where we're at in the UK now, maybe 50% on some of the networks and a bit less on a couple of the others. But, yeah. um, you know, you're building on... That three and a half gigahertz sounds quite a lot higher than they built their their three G networks on, or, or even their four G networks. Mm-hmm. So, is is that one of the problems that around cell edges, say even, or yeah, is, yeah, yeah. yeah, but if you think back ten years or fifteen, what the spectrum was still the same then, obviously, and it was used for like fixed wireless access, where you had to have an, an antenna on your roof or something like that. Whereas now it's in your pocket, and yeah. you know maybe even even comes indoors and things. And that is the um, massive MIMO technology okay. focusing the focusing the energy. This is the beam forming sort yeah. of feature. Of, yeah. yeah, that's another of those sort of quite futuristic sounding things that gets associated. So beam forming is is real and it's delivering. Uh, yeah, but it's another really complicated thing. Where does this type of beam forming that type? Right, I see. Um, blah blah blah. It's so it's so <laughs> counterintuitive. The thought that you can sort of dynamically and automatically focus a, a, a beam of, of radio on, on an individual's device which is what i or, or yeah on, on a specific device which is my understanding of it again i say all these things fully expecting to be laughed at and corrected um just sounds like incredibly technologically advanced thing to be able to do it is incredibly technologically advanced yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's all um proper um i mean it's all you know even before it gets into technology and all the stuff we talk about, it's mathematicians and, and all right. of that kind of... You Doppler know, and all that. ...working stuff. away for a couple of decades beforehand, <coughs> before it even yeah. becomes a technology and then becomes a product and something we end up using. I know, there's so much into it. Like this week, it's not it's not really worth chatting about, but, but since we did the last pod, they had um, a changing of the guard at the ITU, the International Telecommunications mm-hmm. Union, which is, which is part of the UN. But it wasn't... Originally, it, it just started up by itself 150 years ago, mm. the ITU. And and that's just one of those places. It doesn't get much press, and probably a good reason because I'm not aware of it doing that much. It's incredible. It's not as relevant. I don't think. Oh, than giving America but... plus one and us plus four four, which is obviously a piss take. Why do they get the one? Who's plus two? Does anyone know who plus two is? On international phone codes. No. Anyway, I think plus four four is a bit shit. I think we could have done better than that. They do three, the yeah. um, World Radio, Radio Communications Conference or whatever it is. That's that's under the auspices of the yeah, ITU. Yeah, but does anything? Ever come yeah, they that. decide what what spectrum bands are going to be allocated to what. Okay, so it's it's a sort of global coordination. And then everybody exactly, and then some countries go off and do their own thing anyway. Right, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah, it's and they use words like for... they use words like 
plenipotentiary they also that you never hear in any other context. I know, I know that word. I, that, that's I a weird word. They also yeah. deal a lot on broadband standards. Right, okay. You know, so so I'm, I'm, being, I'm being over-sceptical. Mobile standards, it seems to be groups like the 3GPP and the, the regional ones under that, like Etsy and... Uh, was it Atis in America? I can't remember. Well, they ultimately, it was IMT, 5G and 3GP, they worked with a thing called IMT, which is set by the ITU, whether... Right. Um, whether it's such a big deal or not, I don't know. This other argument you hear sometimes is it's a good forum for countries um, that don't get a shout in other yeah. uh, other areas. So, you know, if, oh, they, fair point. if they pay attention to um, telecoms in... Um, you know, lower-income countries, etc. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose if you... I mean, the only reason I mentioned it, by the way, before I carry on this tangent, is just another example of quite how many moving parts have to function in order for telecoms to work. And it does make it, thankfully, a really interesting industry to work in. And, and as someone who's worked more in, like, consumer tech and that sort of thing, I actually find it more interesting because consumer tech has a sort of ceiling, you know, like what has Apple just produced or what's the latest chip that Intel's come out with, all that sort of thing. It's a lot more defined. There are less moving parts. It's dominated by a few sort of single massive players. Um, whereas so many things <coughs> have to work in concert for telecoms. It's almost it's, it's almost a something that gives you sort of optimism that various countries that, that spend most of their time sort of being aggressive and unpleasant towards each other it's a reminder that they're also interdependent. I'm thinking especially like US and China um, and perhaps to a lesser extent Russia. Um, you know, they all have to be able to get on for these things to work. So dialogue, I don't think you could ever have a time where there's just no dialogue whatsoever, unless you're going to be a country like North Korea where the leaders don't care that most of the country's just in the Stone Age most of the time. They just sent a missile over Japan today. Are you I know. Saw that. They, can't, they can't get the lights on, but they can menace Japan every now and then. Yeah. Um, it's all a bit annoying. Anyway, um, where was I? Yes, and, and but then even the ITU thing got a bit politicised politicized recently because there was an American and a Russian person in the running, and the Americans brought one, and, and that's all spun as a victory for freedom and and authority and not authoritarianism and all that sort of thing. It's all very tedious. I hope they don't continue with this because they had a Chinese person in charge for the previous eight years. Right. No one seemed to have an issue with that, did they? Anyway, I bet uh, they did. Yeah, seek muttering. Um, uh, it wasn't. Gonna, oh yeah. So before we move on to other stuff, um, before before we started recording, Gabriel, you sort of lamented the fact that a lot of things that that you that, that occupy your time we've spoken about quite recently on the pod, but I'm I'm not put off by that because we haven't spoken about them with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so another area, as, as someone who's concerned with um, you know what goes on in the in in the radio. Uh, another very topical area is presumably for you, Open RAN. Yep. And and we chat about that a fair bit. Our angle, again, tends to be sceptical, as it should be, as we're journalists, about not not about whether or not Open RAN is a viable thing, but whether whether or not um, whether or not there needs to be that much emphasis on it. It, it is a bit politicised by the Americans as well, um, as is everything by America. I don't think I, I think Americans could politicise going to the toilet. Um, <laughs> Uh, and and then we also talk about how truly how truly open it is. That's a that's a strong angle of Ian's, you know, saying how it could still end up just being a small number of of major stakeholders in that in that mix. But um, just put it over to you, um, Gabe, in, in terms of sort of open ran. You know, when you when you're 
writing reports where you've got incoming sort of questions from clients or whatever. What's uh, what are people wondering about Open Run these days? Um, all sorts again. I mean, it's it's one of these things. There's so much to it. I think it's best, you know. We'll never make a journalist of you, will you? For the purposes, you're not, of, like, <laughs> you'll be able to write head, your headlines will be like four lines long. The um, I was a journalist actually once. Ah, sorry, I take it back. Um, Until you evolved, I had to put a newsletter out every week. Oh right, went to print on uh, midday on Friday. And was it a telecomsy journalist yeah. thing, similar I, to what we do? IP wireline and wireless week. Uh huh. Sounds like one of those ones that would have come up on Have I Got News For You back that in the day. That kind of thing, yeah. yeah. I always, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Open RAN, I think it's best to see it in a context of overall RAN. Um, yep. When you do that, it puts it more in perspective. Um, and, yeah, you'll probably say, you know, the, the, the tension it receives from media, marketing, and people chatting about it is probably oversized to, you know, what it merits. Um, nevertheless, is very interesting. Um, still, so basically, I think it's um, doing a panel on this at it is plug-in stuff, but whatever. You plug at, away, mate. At, um, so uh, we're organising this event called Network X in Amsterdam. Yeah, we'll all be there in a couple of weeks. Um, big we'll event, be doing pod from there. Loads and loads of people. Who's on your panel? Good panel, actually. You're talking about Open Run. It's got um, a fella from the DCMS, which is a yeah. British government department yeah. of some form or other. He's been involved in it quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, for, uh, iron, iron, someone. Um, iron, iron Mike iron, Tyson. Iron Gosh. Oh, right. I, I might have might have misremembered that. Another fellow called Franz Sizer from Deutsche Telekom. Yeah. He's uh-huh. you know he's yeah. he's he's properly on top of his brief, as you'd expect. Um, someone from Vodafone Zigo in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Just down the road, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Might as well get them along. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a different. What's interesting for them Coming is they have merged. Skinning up a massive split <laughs> while you're on there. They've merged, but they're a smaller outfit, you know, than someone like Deutsche Telekom. So he has yeah. quite a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Per from Viavi. So, so I'm doing that panel. Um, we've got our own symposium coming up the same week. So I'm going to be at the event doing that back to my hotel, presenting it online to the online right. audience do you, do you think because you just mentioned there that Ziggo is obviously a lot smaller than Deutsche Telekom it's nice to have the contrast on the panel but you know in your sort of conversations with operators generally do you think do you find that smaller operators are thinking about it really really differently from because the big operators in Europe seem to be driving it don't they and then whenever I have the opportunity to talk to people who are a bit smaller some of them seem a bit more wary or sceptical or it's not maybe not ready for them they don't want to get too involved and some of them say it's you know it's maybe come along a bit too late for 5g you know three's very much had that kind of line i think on it and, yeah i think broadly and, that's probably fair enough i mean um but um yeah that's I, you know yeah it's always exceptions and whatnot but yeah. that's pretty much it but the but the basic point is it's been about five years now since the oran alliance was formed maybe six or seven years since this current cycle has been around. Let's call it five, just for charity's sake. And then if we think, well, it takes 10 years to do anything in telecom. Mm-hmm. So we're about halfway through. You know, it's like it's too soon to say it's going to kind of fail. It's too soon to say it's going to succeed. It's kind of like right in that yeah. zone of... Um, but you can, have some, you can have some sense technologically. I mean, if, it, if it's... If it's viable technologically, <coughs> I, it seems the political and cultural and commercial will is there. But obviously, if it's shite, uh, it doesn't matter how much 
political will there is. It's not going to come along. Is, is it technologically measuring up? Could you, you know, could you confidently, if you were someone, if you were some big um, operator, could you just go, yeah, that's our strategy. We're going all in, and be quite confident. Um, you'd be brave. <laughs> um, you'd be brave to do that. Look how many sites Vodafone's turned on so far. How many? One. One. <laughs> Our site. Well, that's one. What happened to all those ones one in we Wales they were going to do? One we know about, but I'm pretty sure there'd yeah. be... I mean, the next plan was for a golden cluster, wasn't it? But even that was only, what, 30 sites, so... But it's all down to definition. You know, Docomo's got thousands of sites, tens yeah. of thousands of sites live with some parts of the technology. I think Verizon had an announcement recently they got... Was it they had 5,000 or 10,000 VRAN sites? So that's, it's not full open yeah. RAM, but it's a stepping so stone. So one's open RAM, one's VRAM. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's you know, a sort of theological divide I haven't fully got my head around. But well, you, you can see you're kind of getting there, and these are, these are, the, top, these are the top operators in the world, and, they're, yeah. and they're, you know, they're halfway there and feeling pretty good. But it's not all done, you know. And in the meantime, over 10 years or whatever, everything changes anyway. Like what you set out, you know, if you go and judge something and what you wanted to do day one and where it's all looking things change don't they because you, you know you learnt something or so you don't, you don't have to virtualize it to open it which is what docomo has done in japan yes they have a non-virtualized network that's open so they have i think radios from fujitsu and maybe a couple of others working with sort of nokia's baseband so, so the two things are quite distinct, but they often, in, in some get, press releases I get, they get conflated. Well, because I think most people using Open RAM will virtualise as well. You do the two things together, generally. I mean, Docomo's not, but I know. But their, it, their thing goes back a long time as well. It's not based on ORAN Alliance specs. It's just they've got oh, right. the, the vendors to work together, basically, as I understand it. I think it's on, it is now on ORAN Alliance now, specs, yeah. but they were doing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's another one of these things that's really complicated. It's weird, it's isn't it? Like, I mean, again, you know, in my sort of reductive perspective, one of my understandings is that one of the reasons you would <coughs> virtualize, one of the reasons you would conflate the two things is because one of the points of Open RAN is to use sort of off the peg, like chips, non, non-specialized components. Mm. And the more stuff that you've got virtualized and, and softwareized, um, the less you require on, on local component specialization. Do you think, is, is that a reasonable observation for me to make or am I fucking missing the ball on that one? I think that is what you hear people talk about stuff right. like that and so that's like a, part, recipient that's of, a stuff. part of it but it's, there's, there's many parts. Well, there's quite a lot of specialization going on now in, in, in VRAN to overcome some of the performance challenges. Right. So you hear people talk about like hardware accelerators and you know, more specialised silicon that you need to take on to take on some of that baseband processing that it's hard for general purpose stuff to do very well. Mm. And that's that's what I don't know. I mean, Gabe will know a lot more about this, but from my perspective, that seems to be one area. There seems to be quite a lot of progress has been made in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, um, Mike wrote up the um, Qualcomm stuff. Qualcomm yep. story as an, as an example. Yep. Um, Intel had some announcement as well, I think, that I did Intel get around to doing. Intel had a recent announcement yeah. on... Um, a similar sort of area. There's there's Marvell. There's Nvidia. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of yeah. um, lots going on. So you got five, four, maybe four or five big chip companies that are involved in doing that sort of thing, trying to. And all of them except Intel being x86. I mean, being ARM microarchitecture focused, aren't they? Yeah, although they'd still work with. Right. They'd still have x86 chips in, and okay. and yeah, they wouldn't 
th those um, the CPUs will still probably be x86, okay. not ARM based. Not not necessarily. I think there are alternatives, but but not many people have an x86 license. I think it's just AMD. So if if Qualcomm's well, doing chips, they've got to be ARM microarchitecture. I think. No, but their but their chips would be they'd be doing an accelerator, but you'd still have an x86 right. in there. Right. Yeah. Okay. To, to back back to your question, so one operator, I won't say the person's name just in case they sure. know, was saying, yeah, they think the open RAN products at the moment um, are about twenty to thirty percent off. You know, twenty to thirty percent behind what you would get from the state of the art system in the market. Ericsson, Nokia, whatever. That kind that's of thing. So you know, that's quite a big gap. But um, is it's it, not is it closing? Huge. Do we think? Yeah, well, yeah, it's closing. Yeah. How how far it will tighten? You know, maybe the maybe you know. It's a moving target, isn't it? It's a bit. It's it's, like well, that's one thing. Still. It's a moving target yeah, because everything's getting game. better. Yeah, but yeah. you know, um, so then the question is how you know how close can it get, and what other advantages does it have to offset? So I think you know you could see over over the next few years it becomes tighter in a decision. And I guess that's why people talk up things like the RIC, you know, and some of these other elements of the RAN that might give you something that you don't get with the with a sort of traditional RAN. Yeah, maybe. But I, I mean, I think a lot of that is a little bit, I uh, look over here at the shiny thing um, <laughs> yeah. to, to kind of like, you know, baffle you and whatnot. And, yeah. you know, it's a sort of, there's some, obviously some interesting potential, but it's kind of, that's a question of, I've got, the basics have got to get better yeah. um, first. I, st I still kind of feel like one of the big jobs is just getting a bunch of people to work together well, you know, and I mean... I, Cultural as much as anything else. Yeah, just making... I mean, I know he's kind of got a vested interest in saying it's hard, I suppose, but Tommy Wito, I've spoken to a few times about this at Nokia, who's basically the head of their mobile business, has said that, you know, when you're trying to... And they have obviously done this with Tokomo in Japan, and I think maybe a couple of other places, but you're you're opening up your specs to someone else or even if you're using over-the-line specs there's still lots of different options that can you know for working with somebody and there's lots of different parameters that have to line up and it's quite a big job it's quite hard to do mm. you know whereas what you if you're three and you just go out you know three UK the operator you just go out and buy Ericsson stuff they've done all that Right. They've, the done the, they've done the system that system integration, integration yeah. stuff I think is still to me seems to yeah. be one of the big and I think I think challenges. Nokia and Ericsson have done on the whole, I think they've done a decent job of how they position themselves on Open RAN. Yeah. There were some initial times, I remember years ago, where you get a little bit of grumpiness from them and just going like, why is everyone so fucking worked up about this? Yeah. But in a Swedish accent. The, the trouble is they can't so criticise it without, without, <laughs> without being sort of... Because I remember at the Vodafone dinner we went to um, when they were talking about... The one that was quite recent, a few weeks ago, whatever, when they give their update on their yeah. software plan and... Um, I remember asking, raising you know, um, Tommy Wito's point, and their immediate reaction was to sort of laugh and go, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? So they can't really... That's a problem. Ericsson and Nokia can't really sort of raise criticisms without being perceived to be, you know, like Kodak. Yeah, and, well, exactly. <laughs> so. and, I, and I think they've done an all right job of walking the fine line of just coming out with generic, vague little, you know, obviously anything that improves the whole overall ecosystems for the best. I keeping their cars pretty close to their chest, which seems like the most sensible sort of comms and strategic position to take. Still be interested to know what Huawei's doing on all this, but mm. they're the kind of, you know, I mean, they're not involved in the specs group, obviously, and 
or are they through other companies? We don't know. Some of those smaller Chinese companies maybe are linked to Huawei, I've heard. But um, Cool. Yeah. Well, look, we've, um, we've done about an hour or so, and I think, I, I think I'm going to move it on, although I will, before Have I do... we done an hour already? Nearly. We, oh. we probably start about ten past, three quarters an hour maybe. Um, 51 minutes. There we go. Um, but before we move it on, Gabriel, and you don't have to, you don't have to say anything if you don't want. But are there any other things in your sphere, in your day job, that are sort of grabbing you? Um, all sorts, really. I mean, one thing that just sparked maybe that's a short mention. It's not really my job or anything, but um, it's topical. When you mentioned um, Vodafone, I saw on uh, LinkedIn the CTO is retiring. Yeah. Yeah. Johan Weiberg and being replaced by Scott Petty, who you've chatted to loads yeah. of times, haven't you? So yeah. I thought that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, um, I thought, I don't really know what, whether there's a whole inside story in that, but I always thought Johan Weiberg, who came from Ericsson, I think, yeah. I believe so. did a really good job for Vodafone, partly on their technology strategy and all that, which is his job, but also just kind of having them be a bit more kind of communicative and, and open and engaged across the industry and... Yeah, I agree. Um, we've we've got, does does quite a lot of that. Um, we've commended them on that. I mean, although I've got to say, Johan, you know, good luck to you, whatever you're moving on to. But sometimes his PowerPoint presentations are a bit dry. <laughs> I think he said it was his last main job. So really, he's just going to go and chill. He the doesn't fuck look out. very old. So, but good luck to him. You know, yeah, if he wants to. Well, I'm sure he's, he's going to do something. He's probably one of these guys like who do nothing. Who does quite dry PowerPoint <laughs> presentations, but then if you know him, he's just a nutter. <laughs> I've seen him a few times and he said quite I mean the, the ones the press conferences that we've been to you know when they've they've had proper news there you know yeah. we're going to hire 7,000 software engineers and they said that at a dinner yeah, with journalists that's true. And no that's significant it's like well, why are you doing that it's like well we need to you know we need to be less dependent on integrators and all this and, but I think it's so. given his um, all the teams and also a little bit of licence to be not so huddled in their office and hiding away but actually just kind of um, participate in the, in the communities and ecosystems of of, of their part of the network yeah I um, bumped into him in a lift once and um, he didn't know I was obviously even though I had he should <laughs> um, but he was, he, he was an absolute gentleman so you know yeah and he makes me feel short he's tall he is very he? tall yeah he's a tall lad <coughs> no no he's a sound bloke um, and, and I completely agree with you on on that um, you know it's basically it's them and BT so uh, I hope you're listening O2 and, and 3 them and BT that made the effort to sort of get analysts and journalists out. Um, they don't have to get us pissed, although it helps, obviously. Um, and actually engage with us and have, you know, and, and put their execs in front of, you know, smart asses like me and clever people like you to ask them difficult questions. And I always, I always give companies respect when they do that because yeah, that's, they that's, could just protect yeah. their execs and they don't. It's even, it's not, it's also lower levels, you know, just, just being in the, I mean, they've always been in standards groups, but. Right. Um, they're just involved. Yeah. So, so there's a there's a segue. You got your segue in in the end. You, Talking about Vodafone. Sorry, did you have more? Well, to say? just on I was just on that. Um, what do you think of Scott Petty then being in? Because I remember when he first came over to be UK Network something. Yeah. From Oz. Yeah, so he's had quite a rapid ascent, hasn't he? Well, he came over all kind of like a caustic Aussie, you know. And right. I, remember, I remember him presenting, and he was a bit like, you know. Don't, don't, don't mess about with me, don't piss about. Kind oh, of okay. he was giving it large a bit. Style. But he's really kind of, you know, and I've actually introduced him once on stage, and he's, okay. he's really um, Round, changed and rounded polished and himself. kind of grown and polished, yeah. yeah. To the point where, you know, he um, 
communicates really well. Well, Ian, you've you've chatted to him a lot more than I have. Well, I've been lucky enough at a few of the Vodafone dinners to be sitting next to be put next to him, and uh, and then and then it's like you know you can you're free to sort of chat and ask questions. So and he's pretty. He's pretty sort of outspoken, actually. Mm. A lot of You've things. often mentioned him on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've quoted him a lot, and I've sort of brought out quotes a few times just for context in other stories because he, he's just said a few things that are really interesting, and uh, he doesn't sort of shy away from having well, an opinion. Well, I think, and, you know, there's, there's the thing. Yeah. I, I've certainly lamented over the years that I've found, and it could just be me, that companies engaging less on, on a sort of PR level. They seem to protect their execs more, engage less. You just get these bits of propaganda thrown at you. And they and they seem to expect you to just re- repeat them verbatim. Um, and you know, even I've only been journalist fifteen or so years, but even even I can remember a time where there was a lot more engagement, a lot more toing and froing yeah. between companies and I'd, journalists. I'd, I would put that a little bit on the journalists and the analysts as well, though. Um, yeah, in what way? I think journalists were feistier, analysts were feistier than than they are now. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's just the company. I think quite often the companies they do want a bit of challenge because it helps them. You know, it's like right. it actually is yeah. good for them because they're like, oh, it, yes. you know, they. I think but, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. But I mean, a lot of um, and there's not just the faceness, there's the proactiveness. I mean, one thing I can relate to, you know, for basically all of my time here, I've had typically at most one other permanent writer alongside me. So a lot of the time, I'm just thinking, how can I get three stories out today? Yeah, and that doesn't really lend itself to me picking up the phone that much and, and being sort of tenacious and doing proper journalism. So that's a shame. But but then I think companies could acknowledge the fact that there are fewer journalists expected to produce more content mm-hmm. and and move the move the window a little bit more in our direction and make it easier for us to do that. And people like BT and, and Vodafone when they engage do that and, and they get rewarded. They get written up, they get spoken about on the pod and all that sort of thing. So come on O two and three, sort your life out. I was going to say on the Scott Petty thing, yeah. that he's not a direct replacement for Weiberg okay. because they've sort of divided that That's role. True, got so even though guy. his job title is now changing from chief digital officer, I think it is, chief data officer maybe, to chief technology officer, they've got a chief network officer called... Christ, I can't remember, I can't his, remember name. his name. Yeah, yeah. Rippy or... I can't know. Yeah, so, it, so Scott Petty's more in the sort of IT software side of things, actually, these days than he used to be. And I remember talking to him at dinner about that because he moved from UK CTO into this chief mm. digital data realm. And he was saying that's more his background. He's more like a programmer. Right, um, and that's yeah. that's and that seems to be a sort of group-wide thing because you remember yeah, we went to a Vodafone the, thing, thing where it's yeah. just UK and they had Andrea Donner, yeah, who was more on the network networks. side, and, and then, then the other he, lad whose name I forget, uh, who was more on the IT side. Name, yeah. I can't remember his surname. But, so yeah. that's obviously a thing that they do, and that's consistent with their messaging about how we're trying to be more I IT savvy. I think it's Ahmed El Sayed. I'll do me. Okay. Um, Sorry if I so, got yeah. that wrong, Vodafone. Cool. And Ahmed. <laughs> so yeah, all right. I, I mean, but I think I don't know Scott Petty very well, but by reputation, certainly from talking to you, Ian, you know, anyone who's <coughs> anyone who's a free and open communicator, it's all right with me. What do you think? Do you celebrate the move? Uh, yeah. Cool. Right. Well, on that monosyllabic answer. I'll uh, <laughs> sticking with Vodafone. Yeah, sticking with Vodafone. We finally get your segue in. Um, so yes. So this week, that's been rumoured for a while. I'm I'm a big fan of spotting um, things that I call trial balloons, which is when you get someone like Bloomberg or Reuters or FT or Wall Street Journal or whatever, say sources close to the thing reckon this might be happening. I think it's nearly always a trial balloon, and a trial balloon is a is a 
comms technique that people use where they leak something to gauge public reaction to it. I'm sure politicians do it all the time as well. You know, or we've heard from sources uh, close to the cabinet that they might be trying to make it mandatory to wear purple on a Friday. And then that comes out on the BBC and then everyone freaks out and then suddenly that policy disappears. So this, is, this is how trial balloons work. And I think we've had trial balloons about Vodafone phone in three for a little while. I was looking back on just some of our journalism we've done for a while. And journalism, for those who, <coughs> who don't know, is, is a commonly used word among my profession to talk about basically reporting on other reports. Hence the churn part. So Reuters reports that. It's what it's what people with less resources than Reuters are sometimes reduced to doing. And we've done plenty of journalism over time with these, what I consider to be trial balloon leaks. And then there was one that came out, um, sort of first thing yesterday, which was Monday. The uh, Monday the, what was it, third, fourth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's October. Um, what was that. it? No, yeah, Monday 3rd. Um, I think it was Sky News that got it, that said, yeah, they're definitely Vodafone um, Group at CK Hutchinson, Hutchison, which owns all the three sub-brands, are uh, in chats about merging their UK operations. And then Vodafone soon after came out with one of these, again, which if you've been a journalist for a while, they're familiar to them. They'll be familiar to you, which is where they say, um, we note recent media speculation on dot, dot, dot. Mm. And in this case, normally they go, we know really speculation and it's all bollocks. But in this case, they went, yeah, actually, they're onto something. Yeah. Um, and so I think uh, here, I've got the press release here. It's headlined, Vodafone confirms discussions in relation to Vodafone UK and 3 UK. So, yeah, that's kind of what it is. Um, they're thinking of merging. The, the, the minutiae of how the merge would happen is a bit obscure, they say um, Vodafone would own 51% and CK Hutchison would own 49% of the combined business. So a bit like e, a bit like EE when that was created with Orange and Deutsche Telekom back in the day. Yeah, that was 50-50. That was pure 50-50, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then next paragraph says, the relative ownership would be, <coughs> would be achieved through a differential leverage contribution at closing and no cash consideration would be paid. Does that make any sense to anyone? A differential leverage? It's just a debt thing, isn't it? It'll just be. Well, I I, I said in my piece, leverage I normally take to mean American corporate speak for debt. Yeah. So basically, they, the two parent companies, will take on different amounts of the debt coming in, and that's how they'll reconcile it. Because presumably, if it was a straight combination, Vodafone would own more than fifty-one percent of it, because Vodafone's a fair bit bigger than three, isn't it? Vodafone UK is a fair bit bigger than three UK. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, in the UK. It would yeah. be more like a yeah. sort of 60-40 or 70-30 yeah. type of thing. Bigger, the group would be bigger than yeah. uh, Hutchison's telecom business as well. No, but I'm but, talking about just the UK because yeah. that's what yeah. they're merging. I mean, Vodafone's got, got more subscribers, more revenue, more everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I so, think it's 17 million customers versus about 9 or 10 at 3, okay. something like that. So like, Together it's about 27 million. Right, so we'd be looking yeah. at like two-thirds Vodafone, one-third. So they're third. the biggest, they're, they would make them the biggest. So we've got to assume that if this happened, that Hutchinson's taking on a bit of debt to, yeah. so that it could get its 49. Well, paying Vodafone some money, presumably. Well, but that's the point. They say, uh, and no cash consideration will be paid. <clears throat> so it's all fucking chucking de- debt about. It's a bit of a weird thing anyway, isn't it? Like for Vodafone to own 51% of something Yeah, is a bit kind of... It's Why not, not own 60? You're not on the pot or off it. You're, 
in between. And it's just enough to give them majority control, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I knew this would come up on the pod, so I did study it up <coughs> Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I did see an interesting article. You talk about um, trial balloons. I don't think this was that, but someone there was an article in The Telegraph saying... Um, not you shouldn't do it because you're going to put prices up, but um, it may raise uh, national security concerns, you know, with um, foreign... Ta- it's not a foreign takeover, but it's still a foreign ownership, even though yeah. it's a minority stake. Sigi Hodgson's a Hong Kong company, is it? It's a Hong Kong yeah. company. Obviously, Which it owns a lot of British... China now. It owns a lot of British assets, though. Yeah. In not just telecom. But this piece was saying it specifically relates to Vodafone acquired cable and wireless some years back which does a lot of the subsea and international systems including I don't think it says this but as far as I'm aware certainly at one point it used to like connect all the British embassies up around the world and, okay. and that sort right. of thing so they I mean I don't know whether there's any risk or truth in it but what, <coughs> what I really I sort of it's interesting that that came up as the as one objection maybe that's the, one of the reasons the <coughs> maybe that's one of the reasons for this 5149 thing so they can say that it's still majority owned by English people, so don't worry. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure Something there's no, like that. There's no yeah. funny business. Yeah. But it, this article saying even that, you know, even because uh, it's only a 1% over, yeah. it, you know, it might not be enough, but no. who knows? Yeah, it's a big minority stake. So, so that's, yeah. Ian, that, that's, I mean, the, the biggest thing about this, I mean, th- there's basically two two conversation points about this. Firstly, the, the wisdom of the move. Mm. And secondly, the likelihood of um, regulators and competition authorities um, waving it through. Do you want to give us your thoughts on, on either or both of those? Yeah, I think on I think the wisdom of the move, I can see them why they want to do it, obviously, because there's long, long been a conversation in the European markets about, you know, too many too many players. You know, it's good for everybody if there's fewer mobile networks, basically. And you have that, and the subscale points they made, I think they actually specifically said in oh, their I've statement. I've got a whole thing to say on that. Though. As Ofcom notes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I'll let you do yeah, yeah, after. Don't worry. But I, Just put a pin in that. I'll come back to you that. Yeah, I mean, basically, they. This is one of the things about the telecom sector. You've got four mobile networks in a country. They will have to build, you know, you'll have to build cover everywhere yeah. as much as possible if they're national networks. You're not going to leave areas unserved. So you'll have similar sort of capital requirements and operating cost requirements. But if you've got one that's only got. Five percent of the market, then mm. they've got less money to spend. So, well, you, you say know, there's four t- networks, but obviously in practice there's only really two, isn't that right? Or passive, passively, yeah, I suppose. Oh, you're oh, talking about the network sharing yeah, deals, yeah. are you? MBNL and Cornerstone. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's another barrier problem with the deal. Yeah, it's an issue because the two, these two, yeah. are different. Yeah, camps, I mean, I, I, I can see what they want to do, and also Vodafone's been under group pressure to offload some underperforming assets or do mergers. Shareholders are not very happy with its performance over the last few years, mm-hmm. um, so I can see why Nick Reed would want to do this kind of deal. As, a, as them, a very small Vodafone shareholder, I can attest yeah, to the fact they're it, going in the wrong direction. It would make them the biggest player in the market. You know, so it clearly gives them scale. Twenty-seven million subscribers. Um, you, you know, any market you expect, if you have fewer uh, players, you c- the prices can be increased. You know, yeah, that's the concern. There's all sorts it? of there's all sorts of sort of reasons why I think it sort of makes. I can see why they're interested in doing a deal, but you know, in, one thing it doesn't give them, I think, which was a almost a bit of a non secretaire in their release, was this. Um, you know, if you look at what's happened since three last tried to do a deal in the in the UK, which was with five O2. or six years ago with O2. Um, 
O2's now run off and sort of shacked up with um, <laughs> with Virgin Media. A bit of skirt. And uh, EE's now merged with with uh, BT, which happened in 2016. I think it was the year that they were talking about that deal. Okay. It was almost in response to that. So you've got two sort of big converged companies. Yep. And they're still not going to have sizable fixed line assets. So for some analysts, I know that that's like one sort of red flag. It doesn't give them the the fixed line infrastructure that potentially is important. Um, but then I think regulatory wise, I think they've got all sorts of problems yeah. they have to get past. A ton of obstacles. I mean, I'd, I'd be quite surprised if it goes through, and and it's definitely not going to go through without major concessions. Yeah, right. I don't think because. I think Remedies. Spectrum is quite actually quite evenly distributed among the four operators. Although there's some big skews in certain bands, but e- but even if it's even if it's evenly distributed, you put two together, and all of a sudden that one company owns fifty percent of the airwaves, kind of thing that have been licensed, and it is something like that's high forties that they'd end up with. So right. that that's something that you do, well, you this is expect. the first time. I mean, the, the fundamental um, sort of mergers and acquisitions consideration of this versus. The BTE acquisition and the and the VMO two thing. Yeah, is this this is two mobile operators? Two mobile operators. So I think they'd have to they'd have to give up yeah. some some of those assets, and then that starts to undermine the the rationale for a deal a little bit, depending on what they're required to do. Yes. Exactly. Um, and and then you just mentioned that the MBNL cornerstone thing. I think is an issue. So I, I, I get this wrong, but so threes in a. Three's in a network sharing agreement with um, Vodafone with in Vo- some parts of the country. Well, okay, but, but then- its main one is BT, isn't it? With um, MBNL and Vodafone's with O2 in Cornerstone. So if you bring this, if you have this kind of merger, you've got one company that's in both those sort of mainly passive network sharing deals, which I, I know. Ofcom has flagged that as a concern in the past. If there should be a deal where, because they, they think it could lead to sort of collusion and, and, and you know, skew the market. So, how, how they get around that, I don't know. Um, and then in, I think, in a way, though, that's kind of almost an argument for doing it. It's like they're both building the is. same stuff at the same place. Yeah, let's take some redundancy. And out. they're both kind of, they're both doing okay. You know, three's an okay network and it's an okay service. Yeah, Vodafone's an okay network and an okay service, but neither of them are kicking ass. I think kicking ass, or I think neither of them are world leading or Europe leading not, even. No. So it's kind of um, it is just I, duplicating I, the, the totally. Thing. Yeah, I think politically it'd be. I mean, I don't know if, if the competition authority looks at things from this perspective, um, but I think it would be a really unpopular deal in a lot of ways. It's the sort of thing that people will latch onto and go. They're allowing a big merger to go through that'll create that'll cause thousands yeah. of job losses because like it will. But like the Tory mini budgets, there's no read that, that a mobile mobile network coming together is definitely going to lead to job cuts, and um, and it's also there's all this concern at the moment about cost of living, you know, wage, you know, inflation, and it's you know people automatically think mergers is going to lead to price rises. So yeah, that's always I, a reason that they, these deals get. I think there's two layers of protection. For the public in terms of price rises, firstly two really strong competitors, and secondly, off common regulation in general. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't concern me, but I know that regulators have to be seen to be concerned. I mean, that's the sort of the, the, the religious thing in Europe has been this Got a four versus three, yeah. because if you go down to three, then it's it's the market's too consolidated. Then and you're only one step away from duopoly, and, and then we're all going to die. And that's the and at a time like now, where we're all worried about people being able to afford. To even to keep the heating on, that just sounds like it's a bit more, bit more difficult to sort of, yeah, you know, it's a bit more no, political than it was. I hear you. 
What about you? Um, what are your what are your thoughts on the on the move? Um, I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's been around for a while. I was I was always against it on the just from a personal sort of point of view as a customer on the on the point of view of um, you know is important. Who are you with? I, well, I'm on Vodafone. I've, well, I'm not actually. I'm on a thing called Voxy now. Oh yeah, which is a, oh, the Voxy brand discount version. Yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, I did a webinar um, with uh, um, the the person who runs Voxy. Oh, did you? Yeah, I've forgotten her name, but she was very nice. Yeah, quite a lot to fix on that. But anyway, <laughs> um, okay. The um, Some work to do. Um, but it's all right. It's cheap. Yeah. What are you doing on a youth brand? No and, um, <laughs> and I was, well, I was just trying it out. Actually, I thought yeah. I'd see how. Yeah, you, know, you, see just what, thought, you just thought you'd be in with the kids. So it's not the equivalent of gift gaff at um, O2. Yeah. 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 yeah sort of um, no frills. Like largely prepaid. I tell, well, I tell you what's wrong with it. I'm going to Paris on the Eurostar, and I haven't actually. Normally, on Vodafone, I've been on Vodafone for many years, and it's all included in your roaming, and you don't have to do anything. So, so I'm on my way to Paris. So I get to Paris, and it's like, oh, you're, um, you haven't bought your roaming in advance, so um, you can't use your phone. Please connect to Wi-Fi to buy your roaming pass. Yeah. So they won't even give you a little... So they won't even give me a little a bit way of access to buy it. Some I had similar issues with the in Copenhagen. And I'm just like, what, you people, you know, what yeah. are you doing? It's meant to be a phone company. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, well, I suppose that's consistent with the no frills thing. Like, I, I know we're, we're kind of forced. Like, I'm going to be on EasyJet yet again this Friday when I go off to Amsterdam for a stag trip, which is uh, for uh, my colleague, Andrew Wooden, getting hitched. Go on, Andrew. So uh, we'll see how that goes. My first stag trip for about a decade. So we'll see how I hold up there, um, which, is why we're doing, which is why we're not doing one on Friday. Um, but, yeah, I've got to go on EasyJet. And, you know, pretty much you go on EasyJet or you go on Ryanair or you go on some other sort of weirdly named thing like Wizz Air or, or you know, cheap-ass air. Um, and and you expect to have to pay for everything. You can't choose a seat. You can't, you know, pay more for baggage and all that sort of thing. So I said, but is that... Well, it is that. It's exactly that. Yeah. But it's just a bit of a pain. So yes, it is. Yeah. Well, that's why, yeah. it's, that's why it's for youth, not yeah, for high-flying yeah, yeah. execs like you. So I was always against it for the fact that, you know, we, it is important to have lower-priced plans. My kids are all on three. And if you think about it from an overall um, British society point of view, then you do need to have low-price options, right? Because if you yeah. think of a family of four or five people, they're all paying, you know, all right, 30, 15 pounds. Yeah, if it's yeah. 30 pounds each, then it becomes a lot of money. Probably um, adds up. So You're getting close to an electricity bill. £60 well, that's the point. You're actually miles away from the electricity bill still. <laughs> God, yeah. And I think one of the things is mobile has got pretty cheap. For I mean, I know if you're as a utility, if you're on the sort of yeah. L- yeah. lower end of income, it is still a, a thing to worry about. But for a lot of people, it's a couple of coffees and maybe a pint. Yeah. And that's depending the, on where you go. Eh? And yes. Well, I think it's yeah. found his arms. <laughs> well, you're paying what? Six fifty, seven pound yeah, a exactly. pint now in London. Yeah. So that's two two river, pints yeah. is your is your is your uh, monthly phone bill. Yeah. You know, so on that level, yeah, right. it's good. It's not so bad. And so I'm thinking, when you, look, when you think of it that way, it's mine's, much cheaper than the US. Mine's sixty a month, so it's mine's much, a bit more yeah, than uh, uh, two pints. British price is really good. For, it was three pints for mobile. Yeah, for what you get. Yeah, no, it is certainly compared to the US. Um, it is. Compared, yeah. yeah, so it's you know, but I think now it's got to the point where it's got you know cheap enough and. The, the networks are just they're, they're okay they're good but they could be a lot better and it's kind of um, so I've sort of come round really to so so what what are you saying you're saying now that you're in favour of this merger basically yeah because not that because anyone... their combined resources might help them do a better job is that what yeah, you're saying yeah rather than overlapping 
you know they all overlap the top areas fine you've got good service there but as soon as you go you know to the countryside the railway that sort of thing um yeah it would actually for most of us it'd be better to fix those areas now yeah i'm not i'm not sort of opposed to it on the grounds of i don't like the idea of getting down to three players i think there'd still be enough competition to keep prices low and they're more likely to go up because of um, inflation matched sort of mm. plans, aren't they, really, at the yeah. moment, I think. Lo- but, I mean, um, there's a lot of barriers, like you said, I think, no, I'm no expert, I know how this all works, so this is literally just punditing for the sake of it. But, that's right, that's what we do. Um, one difference now is that, obviously, with Britain isn't in the EU, so that, uh, but there's yeah. been quite a bit of change anyway in EU, um, I added a whole note sent in from someone at Moody's about some court case and there's this and there's that so I think it's, it's what's going to be interesting is seeing how um, British competition policy mm, yeah um, no I think I think that's a really is, good this point this is a big test for that isn't it really kind of what, what yeah. they I think, think it's a really good point I, I noticed um, I, I noted a, 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 I had a paragraph of post-Brexit Britain in my thing I mean even allowing for the fact that I sometimes like to throw that in just to wind up Ramona's because yeah. uh, that's just what although, I do. although the competition authority is pretty much aligned with the European Commission on the OT. Yeah, but um, so the interesting thing is, like politically, if we if we look at what we've had politically in the UK recently, where we've got this new Prime Minister Liz Truss, yeah, and she's she's doing really well. Well, I mean, yeah, regardless of what, of what you think of of the wisdom of her move, it, <coughs> it's notable in its in its stridence and its device, dis- decisiveness. Mm. Uh, you could even say relative what, changing, changing radicalism their minds about the top rate of income tax. You mean? Yeah. Well, then, 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 then our chancellor bottled it on that one thing. Um, but the point is, I can't remember the last time a politician rolled the dice like that. Again, regardless of whether you think it's a good roll of the dice or not, it's still significant that it's a go. And I think one of the reasons they did it. And again, I mean, I my general view on on this political thing is. I'm all, I'm all in favour of the economics of sort of shrinking the size of the state, giving people more money, hopefully being pro-growth. But the politics were badly done. It was very clumsy. They just sort of blurted it out. And you, you can't blurt out something as, as radical and, and as major as that. Call it a mini budget as if they just can have a bit of a tinker mm. and maybe give pensioners a couple more quid a week or something like that. Um, so it was badly done. And obviously they didn't communicate with the markets very well because the markets lost their shit. And then you get this knock-on effect of like, well, if the markets are losing their shit, it must be terrible. The fact that everything's bounced back to how it was before is, is obviously not so reported on. But anyway, the point is... But in theory, the, um, I mean, again, I'm stress I'm not... Yeah, expert, we're all just the, winging it here, mate, don't worry. But the, get the, used to it. The Competition Commission shouldn't... It should be like an executive branch. It's not a political organisation. I know, but I, think every, but I think everything's influenced by politics. Well, I, that's I, the thing. It's nothing the, lives the, in a vacuum, does it? There's a mood around things. Yeah, quite exactly. What, That's quite, my point. Quite what that'll end up yeah, as, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I think I, I think Truss is trying to make this point of like, you know, you get these cliches like Singapore on Thames and that sort of thing, which are not particularly helpful. But, you know, now that we're... The post-Brexit thing's supposed to be that we can chart our own trajectory, which someone like Liz Truss wants to be pro-growth. Mm. Whether she's doing it right or not is another matter. That seems to be her guiding philosophy and that of her chancellor as well, yeah. Quasi Kwarteng who people are unfairly calling Kamikwazi. Um, and so, so so, my point I made in the story is this probably isn't a bad time, timing-wise, for Vodafone to try something like this, because if they position... Well, it, 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 looks, it looks a little bit opportunistic, it's, doesn't it? It does a bit, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good time in one way, because of that, that 
government change, perhaps, if you think the governments have that much influence over the competition authority. And I, I don't know, but it's a, some. it's a bad time in other ways because, you know, as I say, anything that looks like you're... This will cause thousands of job cuts, right? You know, the, the BBC will report this as two companies coming together, thousands of job cuts yeah. in, in, you know, coming... And it will lead to price rises, probably. But even if even if, they, even if they're mainly to do things. with inflation, they'll say it's because of a merger. No, you're right. So you're it's, it's right. very hard to get. Just to like it was an incredibly difficult time um, for Truss and Quarting to try this shit when everyone's so skint yeah. to suddenly be giving you know that that, that 45 percent ban, getting rid of that. You know, the political um, message that sent was 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 extremely fraught at a time when everyone's feeling really skint. The other thing I think is interesting about it, more on the sort of tech side, is because um, I don't think we've seen this for quite a while in maybe not even Europe or well certainly not in the UK, but two big mobile networks sort of coming yeah. together and what that means in terms of integration. They're all using quite different. There's quite a lot of different kind of supplies in the mix there. You've got you know you've got Vodafone sort of two and a half thousand Huawei swap out for open RAM players going on in the West. You've got you know, three having gone heavily in with Ericsson, but it's still got sort of some Nokia and Samsung in there. You've got them both using different core network suppliers. It's like, that seems like quite a big job big for job, a yeah, CTO. Yeah. Big reconciliation and then you've got the job. whole, you know, sort of consolidation of the estate, I guess, not just on the network side, but shop closing shops and things. And there's all of that can bog you down a bit if you don't do it well, I think, can't yeah, it? That's an that, integration that, job. But. That's going to be a, 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 a important part of it, but I don't get the feeling that's really been much in the thinking of whether they go for it no, or not. No, totally. They, they won't, they'll worry about I that afterwards. Like yeah, that's yeah, exactly. yeah. Details. Job, yeah. Deets. Yeah, no, that's, the, that won't um, dictate why they do it. I think so. they kind of had to find out, really, as well. Yeah. You know, like, is it, are they going to let you or not? And just, then you can yeah. move on. I was at the uh, Connected Britain while all you guys were at um, Copenhagen. Denmark thing. Yeah. And they had this question was coming up everywhere, you know, all the all the exec panels and stuff like that. At some point, we've been talking about it for four years more, or ever since O2. They've got to find out at some point. So you know, why not? Um, yeah, so that why all not find out. There's been a viral clip going on on social media about someone doing a simple chart x and y axis, where um, on the x axis there's find out. And on the y-axis, there's fuck around, and he's and it's this sort of spoof thing where he's talking about a directly proportional relationship between fucking around and finding out. And if you fuck around to a seven, you'll find out to a seven. Anyway, it's just you'd have to see it. But it's, there's, well, a, there's a thing Americans talk about fuck around and find out. So you talking about finding out made me think of that. Anyway. I, th- I, th- I think one of the other interesting things about this is if they do allow it to happen, because. I'm pretty sure that if they do, there'll be some remedies, you know, as they call Big them. Big time. And, and then it's what those remedies are, because one of the things that's happened in Europe when they've allowed these sort of four to three deals to go ahead is that they haven't really been four to three deals because they've gone, well, you need to sell. They don't they don't go and share the spectrum out among the existing operators. They go and sell it to Re-auction a Re-auction it. Or, uh, yeah, so or Il- give it to Iliad a new, came in in Italy, for instance, and you had, entrant, yeah. well, you've got one and one in Germany at the moment, and it's whether they sort of see an opportunity to let's get an open RAN player going or something. Or, See, I, w- I would definitely I disapprove know, of them trying to manufacture because then, a then new MNO. Because then you've got problem, almost. Yeah, yeah as a remedy. It, it, I think that's often a really clumsy remedy. You know, let's say they, they let Sky become an MNO <clears> or something like that as a remedy. Well, it, it, it gives you the... It, it, it's good for Vodafone and 3 because they've still got the scale. They're still the biggest operator then and they've, they've teamed up. But then it creates another sort of challenger in the market that can cause mm. pricing disruption. So they might think yeah. that that's a good way of doing it because they're 
not upsetting anybody. And well, they might now that we're post Brexit. They might just know. not worry about those things and just go fuck it, go go for it. Yeah. Let's see what happens. There's one thing I wanted to point out. So Vodafone's argument. Um, so their press release, you know, there's <laughs> like two or three paragraphs talking about a deal, and then most of the rest of the press release was just basically indirectly lobbying the CMA, the government, Ofcom, mm. etc. Um, and they go, the UK government rightly sees 5G as a transformational blah, 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 usual things. And the conditions, the conditions to ensure thriving competition need to be nurtured. Again, the usual sort of stuff. Um, uh, and then it goes, as Ofcom has identified, some operators in the UK, hyphen Vodafone UK and 3UK, <laughs> lack the necessary scale to earn their cost of capital. Mm. So the argument they're trying to make is that you've got to have this go through because as things are now, neither us nor three have got the scale to... And and, and I'll talk about this in a sec because I've, I've, I had a look through this Ofcom paper they're referring to to, um, to basically have a viable business model as things are right now. They talk about... I've got, I looked up... They look, yeah, so they talk about this thing called ROCE, re, yeah. uh, Return on Capital Employed. Yeah, Nick Reed's like a big fan of that. They publish numbers on it now in their annual reports. So, right. Yeah. And, and and Vodafone's inferring from its press release. And and in the in this Ofcom thing, they talk about ROCE um, versus, versus... I can't remember what it is. Just the, the cost of doing shit in the first place. And the cost of doing shit in the first place is something like 8%. So they're saying that your ROCE needs to be in excess of 8% yeah. for you think, to be up on the I deal. I think it's overly complicated. I think the easiest way to think of it is, like, you look at what, um, do do it on a CapEx basis even, look at what 3 spends on capital expenditure with its 10 million customers and far fewer revenues to build out a nationwide network. And I think it spent a third of its revenues on CapEx last year, whereas BT... Even with all of its giga, you know, fibre stuff, and including licence fees, which are three stripped out by the way for that purpose, is on twenty odd percent. Right. Yeah. Well, so there's all so, sorts so, of metrics so you could just, use. They're just, you know, you're, you're having to invest a lot more. You've got the same but, kind of cost base, network, but size, but you've got fewer customers. Three's been on a big splurge the last couple it of has, years. It has. That's true. Yeah. As a kind of yeah. catch up from not spending much and yeah. maybe preparing it for these kind of a deal, so it's, yeah. it's all pretty complicated. It is, but but the but the point is, you've still got a nationwide network to fund with fewer customers and, and a smaller pool of sales. Yeah, so. Which, and it's always um, been a. I mean, I went to a three uh, briefing back in the summer um, on the network strategy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, they've always been the cheapest network because yeah. the services on balance. Yeah, you know coverage isn't the best kind of thing yeah a bit shitter yeah yeah, yeah. um so the, the reason i wanted to focus on this other than the fact that it's an interesting sort of core part of their argument so they go on to say by combining our businesses vodafone uk and 3uk will gain the necessary scale so they again they're stressing scale mm. um to be able to accelerate the rollout of 5g in the uk and, and as ever with all these operators they always have to position it as some act of philanthropy yeah. Now, all we really care about is for the UK to be as connected as possible, which we're not, by the way. There have been a couple of things we've reported on this week where we're like 50th in the world in various metrics, including a, a Omdia one. I but, saw that uh, in, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. in the email this morning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although, although, yeah, I mean, 
That was there. I think the UK is doing pretty well on sort of gigabit investment. There's only you're coming from a very low position, and how much have you gone up? That's the thing that Omdia take take it up with Omdia, mate. Uh, I'm just saying that they got their metric, and we're 53rd in the world. I don't think there's anywhere else in in Europe that's building as fast as the UK at the moment. Okay, okay. So you're saying their metric is just a a snapshot in time? Yeah. Well, but you're saying our direction of travel is very positive. Then we're always going to look shit for a few years, aren't we? But the point is, we've gone from like six or seven percent fiber coverage to to a third in in three years or something. But we're, we're, I mean, on a European um, comparison, UK is is um, pretty poor show. Yeah, mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Who's number one on that on list? It's, Romania. It's bad, but more improved than anywhere else it's in Europe. Making, yeah. I went yeah. to I went to this Connected Britain thing. I was saying about um, um, at the design centre. It's all about fibre, yeah. uh, fibre to the home, alt nets, fibre uh, to the yards. open reach, all of that sort of stuff. Fibre to the shed. Yeah. <laughs> That's well out of my depth. Fibre to the bog. Um, That's quite a busy event usually, I think, from you know, yeah, when, I, when I've yeah. been in the past. It's always been well attended because there's so much money going into it, I guess. So w- the reason I keep banging on about this is I got an email and it was sent on background. I mean, I could, I could name who I got it from because I didn't agree to any kind of embargo, but I'll be discreet. But I'll let you and our audience join the dots as to who would be likely to send such an email. Um <coughs> And, and it's basically saying that Vodafone, in its press release, said, um, as Ofcom has identified, some operators in the UK, us and three, lack the necessary scale to earn their their cost of capital. And and this email says, actually, they never described three or Vodafone as subscale in in that paper, which I've then gone and read about. Right. Um, and, and I'm reading there's the one paragraph which they're probably referring to. This is 6.16 in this paper that was... I'm not going to scroll up because it'll take me forever to find my place again. But I think it was back in, like, February of this year that mm. Ofcom... A really long paper, like 70, 77 pages on a PDF. Um, it says, in a, in a, in a well-functioning competitive market, not all market, market participants may earn similar levels of return. As figure, figure 6.2 shows, some MNOs have earned higher returns than others in recent years. Vodafone and three may have not covered their cost of capital. So that's the key right. sort of sentence. Yeah. Um, if ROCE, as I mentioned earlier, o- o- brackets on an economic basis, which is a qualifier that we won't get into now, uh, was to fall or was expected to fall below the cost of capital for a sustained period of time, any MNO, for any MNO, this could dampen its incentive to invest. So it's clearly this paragraph they've latched onto as saying, look, even Ofcom reckons we need to get together. But this email I got from this unnamed person mm. is going, yeah, but we never spoke about <clears throat> subscale. So I I think it's a, it's a small, it's a minor own goal by Vodafone. They, they've taken some liberties with what Ofcom wrote. Mm. So what Ofcom's written is they've, they've noted, and actually in this report there's quite an interesting chart, that ROCE for Vodafone and um, 3 is a lot lower than everyone else. Yeah. So they are definitely doing worse by this metric, mm. So which is the return on capital invested. Um, but it's a logical. I mean, yeah, they're right. They've they've maybe they shouldn't have sort of said yeah. upscale and implied that Ofcom had said that. But exactly, but, it, but, that's, the, but that's, the logic's there, isn't it? The logic, you know? no, the logic's I mean, fine. We, we've had this argument, this discussion before. We don't want one network in a country because then you've got a monopoly. Yeah, but we don't but want, you don't a million want either. twenty networks yeah. that are all na- national because they're all going to have only a few million subscribers. So what's the optimum? And point? then even if they spend thirty percent of their sales on network build out, you, you, you're still going to get a fairly crappy sort of amount of investments. So mm. you need you need some optimum point. 
Yes, and that's been the which that, could that's be three or thing four. about do we have three or four? That seems to be the point that a lot no, of No, and I, I take all that on board, but, but but I'm just saying this is a sort of technical communications <clears> point. I just think it was it was it was sloppy and and a bit of a self own yeah. for them to misquote the Ofcom thing. Yeah. For then maybe. people to then bother to reach out to me to correct that mistake. They must have known that they I'm were taking liberties. No one reached out yeah. to me and well, said, oh, there's, a, okay. there's, a, there's, a, "There's a fuck up here." I'll, I'll show you after. Um, so, but and and you know, and if if by doing that they've antagonised Ofcom, that's that's an even bigger cell phone yeah. because they presumably need Ofcom on board for this fucking thing to go through. Yeah. So, a bit of a mistake there. I can I can imagine they might have rushed this out, although I don't know if that Sky News report was a genuine scoop or if it was a controlled leak type of thing that I've spoken about before. But It looked, um, it looked more like the latter, didn't it? looked a bit controlled. Yeah, just, just, yeah. You know. in which case they don't even have haste as their excuse for doing this. I think they were just taking liberties. And, uh, yeah, anyway, that's that. So, um, yeah, we haven't got too much time left. Gabe, as, as our guest, do you have any last thoughts on... On this uh, merger, uh, whether it's likely to happen, whether it'd be a good thing, <coughs> any, any thoughts? So this, this is the hard thing: is it likely to happen or not? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty pretty um, pretty hard to call. Um, I think it probably if you had to give it a uh, if you have to give it a odds like a percentage chance, fifty one. I think I'd go lower. I go lower just because. I think it's more likely to not to happen. Probably, yeah, I think it's more likely to not happen just yeah. because I'd like it to happen. I'm all in favour of it. The, the, these types of reviews, I can't. There's a special designation it's got under the Competition Authority now. They never ever get approved, apparently. Right. So it would set a precedent if this one does get. Yeah. And the CMA goes, we're going to have a proper butchers at this. Markets Authority. Not yeah. But your, you know, your yeah. chart's showing it, isn't it? You've got it on the chart there, your um, return on capital chart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it might go through, but I think there'll they'll be fairly heavy sort of remedies and they could include, you know, maybe trying to get a new entrant in. Yes, which I, I just think would be silly. I think that, I, I think there should be remedies and these things should be regulated. No, no one's saying we don't... Well, you can't really... Reg- you can't really regulate for a new entrant but you could say uh, you've got to allocate some capacity for MVNOs like yeah. that's what happened in Germany wasn't yeah. it and then and then, they start and then the MVNO yeah. buys some spectrum yeah. and builds its own network yeah. but that's that's different to it is yeah you've got to, you've got to sort of hope that might happen yeah. in the US it was more like that wasn't it with DISH they yeah. said well as long as DISH yeah. commits to this many sites you can merge um, yeah T-Mobile T-Mobile so some variant of that yeah. sort of logic anyway wasn't it yeah Another thing by by that chart, by the way, that you're referring to, noticing that the black, the non-dotted line black, is the average, and the return on capital employees just going down as an industry average in the UK as well, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So one one of the really uh, big things the industry chart. needs is um, so that's, that's Vodafone. That's three. Better pricing. Um, yeah. You know, it's not brilliant if you're a cu- consumer customer, but it's what the industry needs to keep going. Yeah, well, and, and we've isn't had this that expensive, so I think it's kind of. Yeah, we've had this chat. In fact, we had this chat in the context of, <coughs> of um, I think it's in the last pod when we were talking about how um, operators are constantly lobbying for uh, big tech to have to chip in to networks because because people like you know YouTube and Netflix and all that um, provide most of the traffic. Um, but you know, the flip side of it is, well, if you didn't have these very low unmetered tariffs in the first place it wouldn't be an issue so is that their fault anyway well you're forced into it aren't they, through competition well quite, I mean, quite to some it, extent it's good but maybe it's too far you yeah, know, yeah. You, no you're yeah. completely right if, some, if someone suddenly um, 
started uh, not offering un, unmetered tariffs, or especially on, on fixed line, of course. It'd be ridiculous to have a metered tariff mm. on your broadband. Mm. Um, then no one will go with them, quite rightly. So, yeah, you're right. There, there are competition forces. Okay, we've got about sort of 10 or so minutes left. So we're just very quickly in... You went to Paris. What was that all about? Okay. Um, it, <laughs> We've run out of time, so I've had to, I've yeah, had to hurry it, was, it along. It was an update Shoot. with Orange Business Services, which is the sort of enterprise bit of Orange. Okay. It's quite big. It's like um, 30,000 employees, I think, and annual revenues of about 8 billion euros. But it's got the same problem that enterprise units usually have in telecom, which is there's a lot of legacy stuff that they're just not making money out of anymore. Okay. It's sort of dying. Um, and they're struggling to position themselves in these sort of growth markets like cloud and, and systems integration and cybersecurity because there's quite a lot of competition there. So they were really actually quite upfront about it, saying you know, that when they started out trying to do cloud stuff, they envisaged a much bigger role for themselves than, than they've ended up with. And they're now having to sort of have an accommodation with the public clouds. And it's more about supporting operators who are trying to work with Google and Microsoft and, and Amazon through things like... You basically, it's quite a big DevOps job for a company to work with the public clouds. You know, you need people mm. to be able to sort of use all their different systems. So what Orange Business Services is trying to do is take away some of that effort and be the kind of glue between the different clouds. But the, the really interesting about it is they've got a new CEO. Um, she's only been there since May, the I think. The overall Orange CEO? No, but business as well. Oh, okay, services. Right. Uh, Aliette, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but Aliette Muznier Lompre, I think is her name. She Sounds used to like be, good effort, she used to be a professional footballer. No way. Yeah, so she used to play professional football for Paris Saint-Germain, not like okay. a crap team either, like yeah. Paris Saint-Germain <laughs> women's team. And she's only like 39 years old still. Um, and now she's already. And she's now running she's Orange one of these Business Services. She's one of these bloody people overachieving like good people. at everything and yeah. sort of speaks flawless English without an yeah, accent yeah. and everything. And But she's she was. Um, it was good because we got they did their sort of presentations it's one of the customer events there's lots of partners there people milling about in this venue near the Louvre and um, and then they had her on stage and me and the other two journalists who were there did a bit of keepy-uppy did, well I was, I was going to say can you do some keepy-uppy skills on the stage you could sort of video <laughs> there. great minds think alike um, Ian but she um, she That's sat down and, gave, and gave us like business. half an hour of her time ask, answering questions and again really sort of no, we were talking about Scott Petty earlier, people who sort of answer she questions. She speaks good English. She speaks good English and doesn't shy away from, like, you know, we've got mass... Because their profits basically crashed this year, and, and one of the issues okay. they face is, I mean, everybody's struggling with energy bills and inflation, but one of the ch challenges for them is talent, actually, you know, recruiting the right people they need for some of these opportunities they're trying to get into. And she's really upfront about speaking about all of this, and she got asked about 5G and, and was kind of, you know, we haven't really seen any any impact yet. It's It's... You know, it's interesting, and we we, we want to be there, and there is like a, a good Gabe enterprise thing. Earlier. But yeah, but it's yeah. just not there. So, so it's kind of good to um, to meet her, and yeah, cool. she's really really impressive. And was it just a leader? I think you just went over. Did you? So you, that, you had one that, night there. Did you? Had one. Literally went over there on the afternoon. Went out for dinner. The day that was nice the place. Day, you were saying the nice place. Yeah, and it was Orange Business Services Summit. So it was basically them with. Um, customers, partners, okay. and, so and like press, a and thing. doing demos as well of things that they, you know, things that they provide. Actually, the Orange Group CEO was there as well. She did an on-stage thing with some of their customers, but she wasn't sort of available for press questions or anything. I mean, if she had been, I guess they'd have had Les Echo there and all the others sort of right. hounding her about net neutrality and stuff like that, no <laughs> doubt. But um, but she was she was there as well. So it was a really good. Orange event. does quite a lot. That I 
I keep having to turn them down. I apologise, Orange. Uh, they keep inviting me over to France for this, that, and the other. It's just, yeah. um, it just hasn't been convenient for me. Uh, you know, we, we've got quite a packed schedule <laughs> towards the end of the year, haven't we? Yeah. Um, well, there, were, there weren't many people. The only other people there were um, uh, Yanitsa, who, who we right, know from yeah. Telecom TV, and a lady called Anne-Marie Corvin, who sounds French, actually, her name. Name rings a bell. She works for a company called Tech Informed. Yeah. And not name necessarily really telco, like writing basically about digital transformation in other industries. Yeah. But there was only those two and me. Um, there were right. some French journalists there, but they weren't sort of. They were sort of kept apart from us. You don't want to, don't want to mix with the French riffraff, obviously. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just giving you derisory looks, roast beef. Um, but cool. yeah, no, it was a really good event. Yeah, yeah, and they, they organised those things well. So. And uh, and you had dinner. Did they take you out and get you pissed after? We no. Um, it's the first time I've went out for a, gone out for a dinner with just a bunch of women on a, on a press trip. So it was just oh, me. so you, it's you, and then so it was it was the orange um, PR people, which was um, uh, Krista and a lady in Paris oh, called no, Christelle, yeah, um, Amri and Yanitsa, me. Right, so it's you. So and I think every other time women. there's been someone like Gabe there, or um, right. so I was, I was sort of in the minority for once. But, right. uh, so you know, we had the meal, and then we went for a walk around the um, down to the uh, the church Notre Dame. Okay, um, which has got loads of. The cathedral got loads of scaffolding around it at the moment, obviously, because it's still being rebuilt. Oh, God, because it, it was burnt, didn't it? Burnt, yeah. mm. And then Shit, we, that was yeah, so we did, did quite a lot of work. It's quite a nice Paris at night. I know people sort of, it's a bit of a cliche, but no, it's no. really kind of, <laughs> it's cool. It's really kind of nice walking along the banks of the Seine at, at night time. It's cool, and it never got bombed. So there's yeah, lots of old yeah. buildings. They had a, um, pretty. VR, you know, version of it at the um, NGMN Orange. What, VR Paris? VR Notre Dame, you know, being oh. really how it used to be, how it might be again. Well, how they're going to yeah. rebuild it? The, bit, the rebuilding is good of, yeah. so far. The bits they've done. There. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to make it God World. Yeah. <laughs> God's Resort. <laughs> cool. Okay. And, and do you think that whatever their sort of core message about their business activities... Does it seem because Orange well, does seem I, to be one of the more busy operators when it comes to diversification. Yeah, I mean, she's got some big ideas about how to um, restructure the group. So she, one of the things she wants to do is um, they've always reported on product lines in the past. She's trying to make it more about geographies, you know, similar to sort of some of the changes that Pekka Lundmark made, I think, when he came in at um, Nokia. And you, you try and restructure things to do with how you think the, the appetite for, for buying is really. And she's, right. people don't want to sort of just go and buy. It's right, a little, right. bit, it's a little so bit the it's, other way around from maybe from what he's saying. But she's saying we need to sort of have sales teams incentivized to sell all the different things that we do and not just sort of look at someone going out there and trying to sell a cloud yep. service or something, look at what customers want. So there's quite a lot of restructuring going on, which might mean, given some of their profit problems, might mean like job cuts. But, you know, didn't go into details okay. on that. Obviously, they're not going to say we're about to lay off. 15,000 employees or anything so it's, 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 a, it's a business that needs kind of turning around So she's and she's new, she's been there since May I think, but she sounds really capable, she's got big ideas, she's got cool. you know, she's quite upfront about the challenges and um, Well that's always nice isn't it, happens, like you know we were but, talking earlier about sort of changing the guards at, at Vodafone I mean, yeah we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, we don't know what they're like to work for or what they're like as colleagues but we do know how they present themselves to us and yeah. so I think, and it's obviously not a prerequisite to be a senior exec that you are skillful at talking to the press, but um, 
I'm, I'm like you. I, I like to get a sense of sort of some degree of energy, dynamism, confidence. Yeah. You know, someone who just meets your gaze and, and just seems to be up for it. Um, so if that's the impression totally, you got yeah, from her, then yeah. that sounds good. And, and the bits they're doing, these new these growth areas are growing. They're, it's cloud, cybersecurity and data are their big sort of three categories that they class as growth areas. And then the legacy business is sort of going like that, as you'd expect. Right. So they're growing at a double double digit rate, the growth areas, but it's just not it's not enough to offset no, the decline in the other areas. Yeah. yeah. So, cool. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you about that because you went there and uh, and all that. But um, so I think if it's all right, unless you've got anything else you, <coughs> you want to pipe up about, we'll wrap it up there because uh, Pierre's got shit to do. I've been good, haven't I, Pierre? Keep an eye on the time. Um, and so yeah, so this is this is recorded on a Tuesday. It presumably go up on Wednesday. Do you think it'll go up tomorrow, Pierre? Um, and we're not going to do one on Friday because I'm off on this stag trip in Amsterdam. Um, so it'll be the, in, a, in about a week and a half's time that you'll get the next one. So thanks a lot for listening and make sure you join us for that one. <laughs> <laughs>